Good morning and greetings in Jesus' name. We welcome you here. We welcome our visitors. We all kind of feel like visitors this morning, don't we? It's been a few weeks. I had to get out the map to figure out how to get here. Not quite that bad. Okay, um, Happy New Year. It's been said already, but I want to say it too. It's not very often we get to start out a year on a Sunday. It does happen every eight, ten years or so, and so that's where we find ourselves today. Turn with me to John 18. I'd like to read a few verses out of here before I uh, make further comment. John 18, I'm going to read the first 18 verses. When Jesus, I'm sorry, the first 11, I should say. First 11 verses, John 18. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the Brokedron, where was a garden, into the which he entered and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth, said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. And soon, as soon then as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Then asked he them again, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way. That the saying might be fulfilled which he spake, of them which thou gavest me have I lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it, and smote the high priest's servant, and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into its sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? I would like to focus this morning on those last few words that we just read. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? I don't know how many of you have a cup or a vessel of some sort at home, a drinking glass, that you call specifically your own. Uh, it's, it's probable that most of you have something of the sort, you know, coffee cups, tea cups, that sort of thing, or knickknacks that usually show up in, as gifts somewhere along life's journey for various reasons. Um, makes good Christmas gifts and secret sister gifts and those kinds of things. So you probably have one. And, and it's your cup because someone gave it to you and it, it's yours. Or perhaps you purchased it. I remember as a boy, my, uh, my cousins, my one, the one family, my uncle and his wife and the, and the cousins there, um, they had a little unique uh, deal there at their house that everybody had his own cup all the time, complete with his name written on it. And these vessels were lined up there on the kitchen counter. And so when you came to the kitchen to get a drink, you selected your cup and you drank from your cup. When it was time to sit down to the meal, your cup with your name um, showed up at your plate. And I, I suppose that it was uh, some sort of a... Uh, germophobia perhaps or something I, I guess, I, whatever it was that's, that's the way it was and I remember as a child a very small youngster 
uh, thinking that was kind of cool. I kind of wished I could drink out of a cup that had my name on it. Um, we never did that at our house, but anyway, it was their cup. There's a significance to this word cup here in the Bible that we don't think about in our, in our modern times. But in, in Bible times, uh, whenever Jesus talked about drinking of the cup, here's what his disciples likely thought about. A few things they likely thought about. In patriarchal times, and perhaps even here in Jesus' time, but for sure in generations past, the father of the household, the patriarch of the household, uh, took it upon himself that whenever the, the family pulled up for a meal, or however they, they did that in those days, he would determine how much and what each person got to eat that day. So, And it was totally up to him to decide that. That was not uncommon for that to happen. And that was his discretion, and you didn't question that. And you didn't feel bad if the guy beside you got more than you did or what you would have liked. It was just the accepted status quo of the day that that was up to him to decide who got what. If you'll remember with me, we have a very good uh, illustration of that in Genesis 43. When Joseph serves his brothers, it said that uh, Benjamin's mess, it calls it a mess, so I'm not sure what it looked like, but it says Benjamin's mess was five times that of his brother's. And, and it's interesting that, that that's mentioned, and it's not mentioned at all that the brothers thought this was uh, strange necessarily. It was totally up to Joseph's discretion to give that five times that mess to, his, to this person if that's what he jolly well wished to do. Another cultural understanding of the cup in those days, uh, remember with me that um, several times in scriptures you have, you have reference to a cup bearer. If you remember, probably one of the most prominent cup bearers we think about is Nehemiah. It mentions specifically that he was the king's cup bearer. Now, this was news to me, perhaps it isn't to you, but one of the jobs of the cupbearer, other than seeing that the king or the, the, the monarch, whoever it was, it wasn't just exclusively kings, I don't think, but the monarch, uh, one of the jobs, other than just seeing that he got his cup and, and had in it what the man wanted or was supposed to get, he was supposed to take a sip of the cup. And that served as two purposes. It served to make sure the stuff was fit to give to the king, and it also was becoming to wait a few minutes after you took the sip to make sure you didn't tip over. To make sure that that cup wasn't spiked with some kind of poison uh, that would cause this king to die. All right? So the cup bearer took the risk. He took the sip. And if it was good for him and he didn't keel over in a few minutes, well, then the king was good to, to drink as well. I found that really interesting. I didn't realize that that was part of the cupbearer's job until I, was, um, until I was researching this. And perhaps that's why Nehemiah was somewhat concerned that his face looked glad in front of the king. If it looked a little sad, that could have meant he had a tummy ache and, and the stuff in the cup wasn't real great. So that, that could be part of it. So in summary, um, when you take that and you, and you apply that to our reading here today, um, number one, the cup was very determined by the, the person serving it, and the cup, what was in the cup had passed the test. Okay, Those two things uh, were part of this cup. 
In the Bible, the word cup is often metaphorically used as, um, as holding God's wrath. Um, I won't take the time to read those passages to you. One of the most one of the ones we think about often is in Revelation 16, where it talks about the cup of the wine of the fierceness of God's wrath. And there's also positive allusions to the cup in the scripture. Um, one of our favorite is in Psalm 23, where it talks about our cup running over. Just this cup that's full of good stuff, and it's just pouring out, and it just keeps getting filled up, and it's just a wonderful picture of plenty, more than enough. Whatever the connotations of the cup in the Bible, it is clear in this passage that, that Christ is referring to the circumstance. He's, he's, he's t- talking about the cup as the circumstance in what he finds himself in currently. And that can be very much applied to us today as well. Uh, when we look at it that way, I would like to explore this subject from that angle. What's in your cup currently? Are you happy with what's in your cup? Are you, are you satisfied? As you look into 2017 and all the unknowns that that holds, are you satisfied that when you come out the other end, that your cup will be just as satisfying as what it is today? Are you satisfied with that thought? I find it interesting to uh, hear people's responses when you do this little um, Conversation when you meet a person. It's, it's the common thing to say, well, how are you? And then they give their response. The generic one is, I'm fine. But some people are more creative, and, and they, will, they will give you a little, bit more, um, a little bit more of an idea of what that means, and they'll say, well, I can't complain. Or they'll say, well, uh, I could complain, but I won't because nobody will listen. Or they could say, life's terrible, you know? And, and a real downer will say that. No, not often, but, but some will. I know a man that um, I almost hate to ask him how he is because there's one thing I know. The weather will not be right. Never, ever, ever is the weather right. Lynn and Warren know this person too. <laughs> I think they do. Anyway, it, and it's just got to the point that I don't, I don't want to ask him how he is because I don't want to know. I know. Because I know, number one, that the weather is not right for sure. Well, let's look at how we can accept or perhaps learn some lessons about Jesus and his acceptance of his cup, how he did that, and maybe how we can learn some lessons from this. The first point I have here is that Jesus recognized where the contents of his cup came from. It said it was the cup that his father had given him. If you went to your friend's house, and they served you whatever, some liquid in a cup. And whatever that liquid was, you didn't care for it. You absolutely didn't care for it. If you liked this person and you were the polite kind, you would drink the stuff anyway, right? You would just, you would just hold the nose, either, either really would do it or, or you know, hold the breath, whatever, and you just, you'd put it down. You would get rid of the liquid in that cup. The reason you would do it is not because you really liked it. It's because you liked the person that gave it to you, right? You wanted to be honorable. You wanted to do that. You wanted that person to feel good. 
Jesus here knew that this cup came from his father. And he had a wonderful relationship with his father. In Matthew, Jesus says that we as earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to our children. And that our heavenly father knows how to do that as well. I think the takeaway here is that whatever our cup currently holds, whatever it has held, whatever it will hold, whatever our circumstances will be in life, if we are a Christian, these challenges and these privileges, whatever our cup holds right now, if we see them as coming from a person we love, i.e. our Heavenly Father, it will be so much more palatable. We will learn to enjoy that. We will rest in the fact that all things work together for good. So whether we lose loved ones, whether our financial status is not what we wish it was, whether we're having personal struggles of some sort, or maybe a medical condition we weren't there, that we wish was not there, or maybe we have a child that isn't cooperating, or maybe we have personal goals that aren't being met, or maybe it's just the opposite. Maybe life is a bit rosy for you right now. Whichever it is, accept it as the cup that God has given you. Accept it gracefully. Think about how you'd feel if you offered a cup to somebody and they, they refused to take it. They said, no, I'm not going to drink that. It would make you feel very good, would it? Think about how God feels if you chafe under the cup that he gives you. How does that make him feel? Number two, Jesus recognized the contents as a gift. He said, the cup that the Father has given me it was a gift. We've just come through a season of gifts. I'm guessing probably the majority of you here in the last week or two have received a gift from somebody because it's the gifty season. It's the Christmas season, and maybe we've become a bit too commercialized with our Christmases, but I think it's appropriate to give gifts, and, and I've given a few and received a few myself here in the last week or so. What's a gift? A gift shows that the person that I give that gift to is important to me. I did not buy a gift for people that I didn't know. Now, that's not wrong, and that's, a, that, that's actually good occasionally, but generally we buy gifts for people. We give gifts to people that we know. When we get a gift and we see that gift, we're reminded of the person that gave it. Okay, So it, it's, it's a constant reminder of somebody. Gifts usually cost something. Gifts deepen friendships usually. A gift is something that generally the giver gives some thought to. And um, that's what makes it interesting. That's what makes it um, well-received. The giver thinks, well, will this thing fit? Will it look good on this person? Will this person enjoy it? Could he use it? All right? That's what he thinks. Jesus, in some of his teachings, said, um, what man of you is that, that if his son would ask for bread, you would give him a, a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, would you give him a serpent? You don't do that. You give good things, Right? So what's the takeaway here? Our experiences, our cup, our lot in life must be viewed as a gift from God. That's the only way it'll work. Job had a wonderful perspective on this. I just got done reading through the book of Job here in the last few weeks. 
He said, when I have been tried, I will come forth as gold. He recognized that those horrible circumstances that he found himself in there for a period of weeks, months, whatever it was, he said, I know at the end of the day, it's going to be gold. Who turns down gold, friends? Who does that? Peter talks about our trials being much more precious than gold. James says that when we have problems, we should count it all joy. Because he said, at the end of the day, you're going to be perfect and entire and wanting nothing. You know, sometimes it's so hard for us in our, what the songwriter calls our earth-dimmed vision, to see our circumstances as a gift. All right? Delvin's been uh, going through the Beatitudes, and there's one thing about the Beatitudes that is so striking. It's blessed are, and then you, and then you have this not pleasant experience or, or whatever, and it says blessed. Blessed are these people. Why? Because good things will happen following that, what appears to be an unpleasant experience. You know, we need to recognize the good stuff and the bad stuff as blessings. It's easy to see the good stuff as blessings. That's easy. When things are going well, everything's rolling along, we tend to call that a blessing. But you know, in the grand scheme of life, that's the Twinkies, right? We need lettuce occasionally. We need that. We need cauliflower. We need those things. And so let's... let's, ex, let's Accept those things at God's hand. Number three, Jesus saw his cup as precisely his. He said, the cup that the Father has given me, has given me. I don't know about you. Well, I think I do. I think it's safe to guess that everybody in this audience likes things that fit. I mean, after all, who goes and buys a pair of pants five sizes too big for themselves or five sizes too small or even one size too big or small who likes shoes that are too big or too little not a pleasant experience we like things that fit but let's go one step beyond that what if it not only fits but it has my name on it what if the shoe not only is my size but it's custom made Maybe I have a, one leg that's longer than the other, and then I need a little lift. So it's custom made just for me. Or what if I have a, a nook that I want to put a desk in, but it's, a, it's, just, it's going to have to be one that really fits. Well, then I go to somebody like Dennis or something, and he custom makes me that thing. And it's just mine. It's just for me. I think you're getting the point. Your circumstances are are custom made for you. And we have to recognize it as such. Jesus made these principles abundantly clear to his disciples when he walked the face of the earth. If you remember, um, we talked about a time here this morning whenever Jesus' disciples were talking about who's the greatest. There was another time when the two brothers came and said, Hey, Jesus, we'd like to have the position of one on the left, the other on the right hand in your kingdom. Could you give that to me? Jesus turned around and said, can you drink the cup that I drink? Can you do that? And they said, sure, yep, we can do that. 
Jesus said that, and he said, well, you will. You will drink that cup. But he said, for me to give you that position is not mine to give. He said, that's, that's not for me to give. But he made a point when he, when he made that. He said, I want you to think clearly, are you able to drink the cup that I'm drinking? The answer that's not given is, maybe not. Just maybe not. Peter had a little teaching too at one point when Jesus was having a little interchange with him and he told him how he would die. It says that, uh, I think it's in John 21, I believe. Um, He told told Peter, he said, you know, the day's going to come that they're going to put your hands in places you don't want it to go. He said, that decision is going to be made for you. And a person has to wonder what Peter was thinking at that point. But he asked Jesus a question. He said, he said, Jesus, he said, here's John. What about John? How about him? Is his hands going to go places that they don't want him to go either, that he don't want him to go? And Jesus said, Peter, don't worry about John. If I want John to live till I come back, that's my business, not yours. Again, the principle is abundantly clear. Don't worry about somebody else's circumstances. You worry about your own. In Psalm 16, the psalmist says, The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. In Psalm 31, another very familiar verse, it says, My times are in your hands. These verses show that God is in full control and he customizes each one of our circumstances so that they are exactly what we need. He maintains our lot. When we maintain something, we custom make it. We do what needs exactly what needs to be done for that particular maintenance program. Never succumb to the temptation to look around at others and envy their lot in life. Don't do that. It'll drive you crazy. It really will. That is not what God has intended for his children to do. And if you've ever looked at a person that is in um, going through very, very uh, intense times in his life or her life, and you've said to yourself, I don't think I could do that. You know what the truth of it is? You probably can. Because those particular circumstances were custom made for that particular person. But should the time come that God calls you to go through a similar circumstance, you will be able to go through it. Because that will be custom made for you at that time. Allow God to give you what he wants. Number four, Jesus asked a question. Shall I not drink it? This question poses more questions. Would Jesus have had to drink this cup? Would he? Well, if we go back through the Gospels and we get the full context of this particular event, we know a few things took place. We know that he implored a few of his disciples to pray along with him. Well, that didn't work out very well. The disciples were a bit tired and they took naps instead. But he wanted badly for his disciples to pray along with him. And we know from Matthew and Mark's account that he pled with his father to allow that cup to be lifted. If there was some way that that could be removed, he really would have preferred that. And in Matthew, we have another uh, part to this account. We know that after Peter struck off the servant's ear, 
that Jesus turns to Peter and he said, look, he said, I have 72,000 angels at my disposal. Should I wish to escape from this? I, I could. I could do that. But he said, we're going to go through with this thing. Jesus obviously could have escaped the situation. It seems clear that he could have, but he knew, he knew that God's plan for the human race would have been thwarted and he would have lost his future glorification had he chosen to escape that. It is fairly common for us as human beings, I would say, to shrink from our circumstances. I would say probably all of us at some point in life um, have a have times when we just soon not experience what's happening in our lives. <clears throat> we have plenty of examples of people in the Bible that had these issues. Moses, Moses shrank more than once from his assignment. He, uh, he actually requested to be killed of God in Numbers 11. He was so tired of the deal. Elijah had a similar experience in the cave. He said, you know, I'm done. God, I'm done. Just, just, just kill me. Let's get it over with. Let's be done. Solomon actually originally shrank from his massive responsibility. Jonah, he was willing to engage in some very untoward activity to escape his assignment and circumstances. Jeremiah pled with God many times to relieve him of his extremely thankless situations. And Job had plenty of time to ponder what in the world was going on with his situation. What is going on? Many of God's people could have walked away. I suppose Moses could have. Jonah tried. I don't know what would have happened if he had tried a second time. But I suppose some of them could have. Could have just walked away. But this is risky business. For the child of God to walk away from the circumstances that God has placed in our lives is very risky. It is in some of the most adverse and trying of situations that God's glory shines the brightest. Think about Paul as he concluded in 2 Corinthians 12. After he had asked three times for that thorn in the flesh to be removed, he said, this is my conclusion. This is what God told me. My grace is sufficient for you because my strength is made perfect in weakness. So then Paul says, most gladly will I suffer this affliction that I have to suffer. Along these lines, though, I do want to add one little addendum here. We do at times make choices that affect our circumstances. I want to make that clear. It's not like everything we experience in life is totally out of our control. Sometimes we do make choices that do affect. I want you to think about um, Cain for a minute. Cain's lot in life as a fugitive and a vagabond could have been, uh, it wouldn't have had to be, okay? He made a very, very evil choice, and he ended up this fugitive and vagabond. David, think with me for a minute about David after he sinned so grievously there with Bathsheba, and Nathan the prophet came to him, and he had this, he had this, um, this prophecy. He said, now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them to your neighbors. He shall lie with thy wives in the sight of the sun. 
Years later, Solomon, when he's writing his Proverbs, he had this to say in Proverbs 6.32, and I cannot help but think that he was reflecting on his father when he said this. He said, Whoso committeth adultery of the woman lacketh understanding, he that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. A wound and a dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. Now, was David forgiven? Absolutely he was. David was forgiven. But because of his poor choices, he had some reaping to do. He had some circumstances to, to endure. And Solomon, in his reflection, said, you know, that reproach was never, ever completely wiped away. So what can we learn? If we have made choices that have affected our circumstances, let's accept it gracefully. Let's make right what we can, but let's, let's accept gracefully some of the fallout that may come from that. It's our cup. Don't chafe. Let's drink it. Embrace the circumstances again that God has placed us in. You know, looking forward this year, we don't know what we'll experience. We could have some real mountaintops experiences, and we could have something that's a brush with the valley of the shadow of death. Either way, it's our cup. All right, a few concluding observations from the experience here of Jesus that I think is important here before we, we close. Number one, verse one tells us that before this, this momentous task and circumstance that was facing Jesus, that he crossed the, book, the brook Kedron and entered into a garden, and it says he oftentimes went there and he oftentimes took his disciples along. And there, like I say, in other, from other texts, we know that he entered into a great struggle of prayer with the Lord. And we know from other texts that it says that he sweated, as it were, drops of blood, and he pled with his father for another, another path if it was at all possible. How far do you think Jesus would have gotten uh, in, his, in his excruciating events that, that followed this, this time in the garden? had he not had the time in the garden. I don't know how, how we quantify that, how we measure that, but I think that time in the garden was extremely important for him drinking that cup that he had to drink. Lesson, spend time in the garden. Find your garden. Don't think that you're going to be able to weather the circumstances of life and you're going to do that by yourself. You're going to have to spend some time in prayer. Talk with God. Get some clarity on what you're facing. And whatever you do don't, what, do, don't do what Paul did for too many years, kick against the pricks. Another lesson I, I see here is you and I both know that we really can't trade circumstances with other people. I've, I've said that numerous times. I'll say it again. Your, your circumstances, your cup is your cup. We had trading food day at school. Well, we don't have trading circumstances day, do we? We can't do that. But one thing we can do is that we can, along life's journey, help to make other people's circumstances much more bearable. That is very possible. Jesus tried this. He tried this with his, with his disciples. He said, would you, would you pray with me for one hour? Could you do that? That would help me immensely if you'd pray for me with, with me for one hour. Well, they couldn't get that done, but Jesus wanted them to. He actually implored them to do that. Ecclesiastes 4 <clears throat> says that two is always better than one. 
Because if one falls, the other guy's going to lift him up. But woe to him that is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him get up. In the familiar verse in Galatians 6, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Listen, if Jesus had need for his disciples to pray for him, do you and I not have need for someone to pray for us? That is completely, we're, we're fooling ourselves if we think that's the case. Ellis made the point well in Sunday school. Um, we, we need each other. Let's learn how to bear one another's burdens. Let's learn how to make our circumstances for each other more bearable, more tolerable, even though it is uh, at times very difficult. Lastly, as humankind, we have a propensity, I believe, to analyze things. We're kind of taught to do that, especially in the business world. I mean, analyze everything. Make sure if you're running your, your business, you know, this especially applies if you're running your own business. Analyze, analyze, analyze. Let's make sure that all the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted and we're not missing anything. At the end of the day, we're within 20 bucks when we, you know, we uh, do the books at the end of the year. Let's analyze. And if it isn't working, figure out why. Be analytical. I think sometimes we, uh, we want to apply that principle to our lot in life. And folks, there's some things that were not meant to be analyzed. Think about poor old Job, going back to him. What if he'd have known? What if he'd have known going into it exactly what happened? You know, God and Satan had the conversation. I'm under the gun because of Satan. And I'm going to pull out this thing, give it six months, a year, and it'll all be good. Would the story be half as interesting? Absolutely not. That's not what makes the story of Job interesting. Did Job want to know what was happening? He sure did. He sure did. His friends did too. In fact, they had a lot of advice for him. They said, Job, as far as we can tell, you know, here it is. You know, this, is this is what we see. You know. How about the poor man that was born blind back in John 6 that we looked at a couple years ago? People analyzed him and said one of two things happened. Either he sinned or his parents. That's why he was born blind. Jesus had some lessons in Luke 13 whenever there was some conversation about the Galileans whose blood Herod mingled with the sacrifice and the tower at Siloam that fell on those poor, those poor souls there. He said, look, you think you have the answers. You think those people were sinners, but I'm here to tell you that they were no more sinners than you. That happened for reasons unknown to you. All right, you're getting the picture, folks. At the end of the day, I think some analysis of where we find ourselves is fine, okay? But when we sit down and we analyze and we find that we ourselves have not brought these circumstances by some untoward activities of our own, let's rest in the fact that God knows best, okay? If the tower falls, it's not because you're a sinner. It's because that's what God wanted to happen that day for his good reasons. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Listen, 
Today, God has an expected end for you and for me. At the end of the day, the expected end is all going to be the same. If you're a child of God, you've accepted his, his blood as your salvation, and you are on the straight and narrow, you will get to the expected end. All right? But on that path, we may have varying circumstances. But God says, I know the thoughts I think about you. And they're good. And what I bring into your life is good. As you face 2017, face it like David. Face it with confidence. Because your cup can run over.